Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood REI and welcome our guest, strong and powerful Vina Jetty. Vina, are you ready to do this? I am. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Vina is the founding partner of Vive Funds. They are a unique real estate firm that specializes in curating conservative opportunities for investors. Vina, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, so as you said, I'm the founder of a company called Vive Funds. Um, We are large multifamily owners, operators in our target markets. Um, We primarily fund our deals with uh, private capital, so we raise capital from high net worth individuals, family offices, and why we do what we do. Well, because I love multifamily and I'm totally biased, but I think it's the best (laughs) asset class within the real estate pie. So I focus very exclusively, not just on multifamily, but like an even smaller sliver within multifamily on um, large multifamily class B value adds. So nice. So large, multifamily, class B, what was the last part? Value add. Value add. Cool. And is is has this love of multifamily has it since since you were since you were a little girl or did it start a little later? I mean, I can't say that I loved multifamily <laughs> or knew what it was as a little girl, but um I will say I do come from a real estate family. So my mom actually is a really successful real estate investor. Both my parents retired early um, from their real estate portfolio. And so my family primarily made money in the uh, residential single family space. And I it's the best way to scale up really is what happened. And so the fundamentals of multifamily are just strong in even downturn markets. And so especially right now, as we're kind of maybe moving out of a bull cycle, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it, but I think we should be at some point in the near future. Um, I think that it is one of those counter cyclical asset classes that can kind of hedge against any kind of risk that you might have elsewhere in your portfolio. Got it. Nice. Certainly makes sense. So when you say large multifamily, what does that mean? Minimum of 200 units is what we look for on any one project. Um, I will look at maybe 150 units begrudgingly, but only if there's a good reason why we're looking at that size. So something was 150 units and it was next door to you know 400 units that we own, that might make sense, might be kind of interesting for us. But generally speaking, unless it's 200 units, we're not really underwriting it at this point. Got it. You just figured out that those are your parameters and kind of stick yeah. to it. So. Yeah, and, you got to have some kind of quick way to filter out a lot of deals. So. Yeah, for sure. And then when you say Class B, what does that mean? Um, so typically we're looking for 1980s vintage and newer. Um, we're looking for either emerging cities, like Tier 2 emerging c- cities or Tier 2 cities, Um, our assets typically are going to have some amount of amenities. They're not going to have a doorman or valet parking or anything like that. That's more the class A space, but it's going to generally have, you know, some kind of a clubhouse, probably a fitness center, um, a pool or maybe two. And some of those other ancillary amenities is usually what we'll see. Um, But I'd say like really the vintage 1980s and newer. Great. And then finally the value add. 
Yes, and the value add. So on the value add side, we look for the opportunity to come in and we look at value add in two different ways. One is forced appreciation on rent renovations or CapEx spend. So whether that's interior or exterior. And then we also look at value add from operating efficiencies that we can realize on the seller's T12. And so we look at both of those and kind of a blend of both of those and see where we can really move our pro forma to fit what we need um, to see in order for us to go after those returns. This episode is brought to you by Money Alignment Academy. If you are looking for a financial wellness platform for your company, your organization, and your employees, check out moneyalignmentacademy.com or click on the link in the notes of the show. Got it. Nice. So, as you are looking at the whole universe of large multifamily class B value add, um, are you <laughs> are you all over the United States? So no, right now our portfolio we have a little over four hundred million in the portfolio currently across Texas, Florida, and Georgia. Um, we have some new target markets that we've been looking at for quite a while now that I'm hoping we'll be able to enter in 2021, but who knows? Um, which include South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and maybe Las Vegas. I'm not still not entirely sure. I think for Las Vegas, it has to be like the exact right entry point into that market. And I'm less positive we'll find something there just given what we've been seeing so far. Why is that, do you think? Um, I think that in order to go into Vegas right now, given, you know, what happened with COVID and tourism kind of slowing down a little bit. Vegas relies really heavily on tourism. And so if I were to go into that market, I really want it to be a great story on the asset. Like it's a distressed asset. We're picking it up for a discounted price. And there's so much meat on the bone that even just bringing it back to market is enough for us to hit our returns. I don't really think we're seeing that right now because most operators have been able to fare okay up until now in those solid markets. So um, Vegas is one of those markets that it's on fire when it's on fire, it's on fire. And when it is not doing well, it really doesn't do well. Yeah. Yeah. I I appreciate that. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about really what's happening with Las Vegas over the last year, but it's certainly you would probably assume and guess that it wasn't doing awesome, but but, yeah. but, but but we will see. So Texas, Florida, and Georgia, and then the Carolinas potentially coming up, and uh, a couple of others. Um, and then how do how do deals come across your desk? Are you just scanning and researching all the time? <laughs> yeah. So I get deals sent to me often, but typically most deals we're seeing today that are at the size that we're looking at are coming through a broker in those markets. So just developing those relationships. Occasionally we'll have a friend who says like, Hey, I'm selling this asset. Do you want to take a look at it before I post it? Um, so just, it kind of depends, but the vast, vast majority right now are coming through brokers. Got it. That's interesting. I've never been a part of that process or a process like that. Is that essentially, uh, does, does the broker attempt to find operators like you and several and, and put you in competition to drive the price up? Yes, a lot. For sure. Uh, so <laughs> I think that brokers are actually can like a good broker can make a deal so much easier during closing and a bad broker can really hurt a deal. Um, our brokers, thankfully, we've only worked with really great brokers and had really great experiences, but they're their position kind of once the deal is under contract is to manage everybody's 
expectations, personalities, business functions, make sure the transfer of information is smooth and clear and quick. And so before that, usually what'll happen is, is if I'm selling an asset, I'll say, hey, broker so-and-so at whatever agency fits for that, um, you know, they'll give us a BOV, a broker's opinion of value. And then um, we'll send them all of the documentation, everything they need to go ahead and start marketing the property. Typically they'll start marketing the property. They'll have a buyer's list. So we're on all of these brokers buyers list. Um, so they'll send it out to their buyers list and then people like me will go, they'll underwrite the deal, they'll um, ask the questions they need to make certain assumptions, and they'll really fine tune that underwriting. And then they will, uh, the brokers will put out what's called a call for offers. That is kind of like the bid date, if you will. So all of the people that are interested in buying the asset will come in and say, hey, I'm gonna, Vina, I wanna buy this from you, here's our LOI, here are the general terms, here's the price. And then as the seller, I'm gonna look at maybe 30, 50 different offers, depending on the size of it. And we're gonna pick maybe like three to five that are the best of those. Then we'll go back to those groups and say, hey, um, congratulations, you're in the best and final, go ahead and submit your best and final offer. So then a second offer comes through from them, they'll maybe change the terms, they'll maybe go up on price, they might submit the same thing, it really depends. And so then you kind of go through those, you do your buyer interviews, as a seller you do your buyer interviews, You pick a horse that you want to move forward with and then you go ahead and you move to the PSA negotiation stage. Uh, so that's when you know the attorneys start getting involved and making their money. So they go back and forth, they fine tune everything. It's several pages of documents with a lot of really boring legalese, but it's important because if you need it, you really need it. And um, it starts, once you sign the PSA, usually that's when your due diligence period starts. and. So usually you have your due diligence, then you have your financing period, and then close date and transition after that. Got it. Nice. So from uh, from that, 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 I'm sure that that process, it probably can go smooth and fast sometimes, and sometimes it can probably really drag out. Yeah. Um, during that process, that actually closing process, is how how important is that during that really short window of time versus then you take ownership of the property and do everything else you do to to increase the value of it can that short amount of time really negatively impact the value of the property or is that just some details no 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 it absolutely can um so usually in our psa which is a purchase and sales agreement uh, we actually have what standards we require the seller to continue operating the asset at until mm. we get to close um, the smaller the asset, the more impact any one of these negative movements could have. And really where it becomes impactful more than anything is on the lending side. So if you are borrowing from Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae or CMBS uh, and the lender sees a sudden drop in income or a sudden increase in expenses, for example, that can actually cause you to get less loan proceeds, which then means you need to bring more equity, which changes your underwriting numbers. So being conservative at the onset is really the goal so that by the time you get to the end of it, your numbers have improved from where you initially projected them, not gotten worse. So yeah, that short period of time can absolutely make a difference. Um, let's say you have 10 leases expire on a 200 unit property and you just don't make an attempt to re-rent those. Well, that's an additional 5% uh. vacancy. And lenders do not like to see that kind of volatility on an asset they're getting ready to lend millions of dollars on. Yeah, that certainly makes sense, right? 
so so many different variables to uh, to, to do your best to control, even though that's mm-hmm. not necessarily controllable, but try to put yeah. yourself in the best position to uh, do so. Um, and then you take ownership of, of, of the asset. Do you mm-hmm. uh, then manage everything or how does how does that work? Yeah, so our assets, we're using third-party property management, mainly because until you get to a certain amount of scale in a very small, concentrated area, it doesn't really make sense to be fully vertical. But once you do have that scale, it does usually make sense to be fully vertical. So right now, we are not fully vertical. Um, We currently use third-party management who, you know, they're on-site during transition, we're on-site during transition, and we basically wait till we get the clear that funds have been dispersed and then we roll up our sleeves and get started on everything and transfer. Yeah, I got it. Nice. So when uh, I, I read at the top that you are cons- you're curating conservative opportunities for for investors. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we have a very stringent underwriting process and standard, and we're constantly changing it to evolve to where we are in today's market. So something that might have been okay to underwrite to 12 months or 18 months ago, that may have completely changed now. And so we are constantly making sure we're fine-tuning and adjusting that so that as we're looking at opportunities, one, we're not being overly aggressive on where we think we can deliver, but number two, it allows us to kind of red light a bunch of opportunities out of the gate. So by the time we actually get to the point where we're interested in doing a property tour and walking the asset, it's already gone through some stringent underwriting criteria. Once we walk it, that's after that is usually when we go into the LOI stage and then the best and final stage. And a lot of times we make it all the way through best and final and they pick a different group, um, either because we're not the highest offer or our terms weren't aggressive enough. Um, a lot of times we get chosen even when we're not the highest offer because we have a surety of clothes, for example, or a reputation for being easy to work with. So it just kind of depends on each individual asset. Yeah, I think that that, that certainly makes sense. And what what are um, the opportunities for for investors to 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 invest with you? Yeah, so it, again, depends. Um, We're very patient investors. So I co-invest with all of my investors. So my funds go at risk right alongside every single one of my projects with my investors. I think it's really important for us. Um, And I'm lucky enough that we don't do this to pay our bills. Um, This is something that I do as kind of my legacy. So I'm building this for my kids and my kids' kids and future generations. So we're very patient investors as a result. And we are very disciplined. We won't go above our offer price. That is our total, our top number. We won't go a dollar over that. We'll walk away from a deal first. Um, so it's really nice because it really aligns our interests with our investors' interests. So I get asked all the time how many deals we do a year. And it totally depends. Um, so by way of example, last year, I thought we weren't going to do any deals. We did exactly one deal. It was an $80 million purchase in uh, Marietta, Georgia. It was 494 units. So do I think we're going to do more this year? Yes, because we're seeing the market starting to move. There's a vaccine on the horizon. Um, Do I think that we are going to be at like 2018 volume? Probably not, but maybe if there's enough deals, we'll do them. If there's not enough, we'll wait and be patient. So if an investor wanted to invest with me, Um, typically they would sign up on my website through my portal and then they would receive any offerings. If they're accredited, um, they would receive all 506C offerings. 
they're unaccredited and we did a 506B offering, we'd have to have a pre-existing relationship before I have a deal. So in between deals is really where we'd have to start establishing that relationship. I would need to understand their investment criteria. Um, we're in a very lucky position now that we don't we don't just take all capital that comes to us at this point. We It's kind of a two-way street. So just as much as a, an investor interviews and decides if I'm a good fit for them, we do the same with our investors because we want that synergy. We don't want, you know, the quick and dirty deal. We want the relationship. We want investors, about 80% of my investors are in two or more deals with me. And I want to continue maintaining that standard. I love it. Nice. I appreciate that. Well, Vina, people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Okay, so I think if you are, actually I think whether you're passive or um, active, I think it's really important to understand how pro formas are put together. And what you need to understand about them really varies based on where you sit on the deal. If you're active, obviously you need to understand pro formas and underwriting it much more depth than anybody else in the deal. But as a passive investor, what you wanna know is when you're looking at a deal and you're looking at underwriting, have all of these things been thought through? Have Has your sponsor thought through post-renovation rent? Is there enough median income in the one mile or three mile radius, for example, to support that post-renovation rent? So I think that understanding the numbers, it's overwhelming, it's daunting, it's like speaking a whole new language, I get it, but I think that that is crucial to anybody looking at a deal, whether they're active or passive. Well, I think that is great stuff that definitely gets, come on, come on. Vina, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can people engage with you? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, you can find me on my website. It's vivefunds.com, V-I-V-E-F-U-N-D-S.com. Um, I have my investor portal on there on the top right. You can sign up there and schedule a call. Um, or I'm on social media. I've been on Clubhouse a lot. I've really enjoyed that platform. I'm Vina Jetty on all of my social media handles. So V-E-E-N-A-J-E-T-T-I. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Vina your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to vivefunds.com. That's V-I-V-E funds.com. And then find Vina Jetty on social media as well. I'll list all those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Vita. Thanks, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together.